All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the OBR podcast. As always, I am your host, Jared Mueller. You can get a hold of me on Twitter at Jared K. Mueller. Uh, but most importantly, today I have your guy, my guy, the funny guy, Mr. Stephen Thomas. Stephen, how are you doing? Oh, doing great, my friend. I'm uh, pretty excited about the way they are setting themselves up for this draft because uh, with every signing, they give themselves more and more freedom to do what they want and, and anything they want, really. And if they nail this this next couple of signings like we think they're going to, it, it's going to be a free-for-all. We're going to have a blast. Absolutely. And, folks, a little bit behind the scene, while we, we do mean those that we're really excited about everything that the Browns have done, uh, the fact that it is a free-for-all and literally almost anything um, could happen, that puts a lot more work on our shoulders, a lot more players to prepare for. <laughs> it just it does extend. Like, I'll just be honest, last year, pretty much knowing it was going to be an offensive tackle right. in the first round, like, <laughs> made life a little easier for us. So uh, while we are excited for all that, uh, it, it's a, it is a lot more work to go, well, pretty much all we know if, if they add an edge and add the corner, and we're going to get to that in a second, um, but if they do those two things, things, we just know it's not going to be a quarterback or an offensive lineman. That's literally all we know. Mm-hmm. Pretty much from there, it <laughs> literally could be any – well, it won't be fullback or running back either, I guess. Uh, but it could be any other position, you know, uh, wide receiver, tight end, and pretty much anywhere on uh, in the on the defense. So, uh, but Steve, I want to start you off. I, I put out something I thought was just kind of groundbreaking. It, like, just was one of these aha moments as I was uh, taking away my wife's popcorn ball. I put out a tweet that said, popcorn is the food version of a yawn. You may not want popcorn or even be thinking about it, but when you smell someone else's popcorn, you automatically need you some popcorn. Is that the best food to yawn kind of analogy that you can think of, or is there something else for you that when you smell it, see it, whatever, that you just need it? Well, it's kind of a it's a niche category, so you know I'm not sure there's there's a lot of options in there. You know, food to yawn it, it does not spawn a a <laughs> wide uh, range of options. Uh, maybe bacon, but you know, mm. uh, you know, I, I will say this: you don't take away somebody else. If, if somebody tried to take away my bacon, they're they're pulling back a bloody stump. Let's put it that way. Um, you can have a handful of my popcorn, but come up my bacon, you, you know, you're gonna feel it. Uh, no, I think that's the best one. Yeah, and it's uh, and especially if it's movie popcorn. Every mm-hmm. single time, and it's obviously it's been a long time. But you know, when you go, when I go to the movie theater, I go, you know what? I'm not paying, you know, thirteen bucks for you know such and such and then and I and I talk up real big, and then you walk in there and you smell it, and suddenly you're sitting in your seat, and the previews haven't started yet, and you're three quarters of the way through the tub of popcorn. Because you talked yourself into paying the extra dollar for the refillable one when no human should eat that much popcorn. And then you've got two candy bars and a 64-ounce Coke, and you're like, good grief, what is wrong with me? It's impossible to go to the movie theater and not get uh, and not, not get the popcorn. You just can't do it. Yeah, you, I mean, you just... You just have to, and self-control is a, is a whole different ballgame. I feel like for you and maybe some of the OBR folks, uh, hearing uh, a beer opening might also kind of <laughs> kind of be in that kind of realm or, you know, the smell of a nice vino, uh, you know, you might eat that, that cab or, you know, uh, something like that might draw you in as well. Uh, so speaking of drawing in, listen, we haven't really talked since uh, the four-hour marathon of our off-season kickoff show. So, 
Stephen, the Browns have been active. Andrew Barry has done a lot, so we don't really need to go through all the list of that. Uh, we've both done enough podcasts and read enough articles and written enough articles that there's a lot of moves the Browns have made. Where are you at? How are you feeling about where the 2021 Cleveland Browns are, given where they ended the 2020 season in Kansas City, losing to the Super Bowl representative from the AFC, the Kansas City Chiefs? Well, let's let me let me see if I can put it this way to show you how I feel about it. We we still think there's more coming. Everybody thinks there's more coming, and you know, of course, that would be great. But if there wasn't, if it ended right now, it's still a damn good off season. I, I I'm happy where they are right now, um, which tells you that they have made. Tremendous strides. And, you know, like you said, we don't need to go over it, but not only did they get some of the top guys uh, on the market at positions of of need, but they got them at prices that are like odd lots prices. I mean, you know, seriously, it's like going to a yard sale and finding a, you know, a brand new mint in the box, you know, rookie card of, you know, Mickey Mantle for $2 or something. You know what I mean? They've done... They've just knocked it out of the park thus far, and there's really no reason to believe they're not going to continue to do so. You know, I mean, part of the argument, the Genevian Clowney argument, and, and people can say whatever they want, and that's fine, but part of it is, oh, my God, you know, he wants $18 million a year, <laughs> and I just want to go, uh, seriously? You, you look at what Andrew Barry has done. You really think he's going to let Genevian Clowney hold him over a barrel and, and give him some contract that that ruins the the cap and the cash moving forward you know i we have no idea what it would be if he comes here but i'm sure it'll be on the browns terms and he's not going to go above what he thinks there are reasons legitimate reasons to question signing jadevian clowney injury history uh, lack of sack production, you know, yada, yada, yada. There's also plenty of reasons to want him. He doesn't, quote, unquote, suck, like a lot of people in my <laughs> mentions have been trying to say. He's really, really good when he's on the field. And when you think about the situation that he would be inserted into with all the other people that we currently have, he doesn't have to be the man. He can just go out and do his thing. And so I think he would be just an absolutely tremendous addition. But, you know, one of the reasons against him is not he's going to ruin the cap. Andrew Barry is simply not going to let that happen. So whatever he does, and I think the other thing, too, and I would like to say this, this is just me thinking, I think he's 28, you know, going on 29. He realizes, and his agent probably told him, look, that $20 million a year tier one edge contract you've been chasing for the last four years, dude, it's not coming. Okay, you, you, you haven't been on the field enough, you haven't produced enough, and look at what's going on with the cap, with the COVID cap drop and, and everything. It's not coming. So I think he has he's reached a point where he's like, all right, let me get two years, you know, something reasonable, eight, ten million, give or take, somewhere in there, you know, and structure it however you want. And then maybe if I'm playing next to Miles Garrett, I can pad my stats enough so that in 2023, when the cap goes back up because this new TV deal kicks in, then maybe I can grab one more big giant bag. But, you know, if he's going to go into every single year looking for that, you know, uh, reset the market edge contract, I don't think he's going to get it at this point in his career. And somebody in his camp needs to let him know, you know, hey, you know, this, this is one of your best opportunities. You could, you could chase a ring. You're going to pad your stats because you don't have to be the guy. And they're not going to want to give you a long-term contract. That's not what Andrew Barry does. They'll let you out when the cap goes back up. So, 
you know, I, I've sort of gotten off track here, but uh, the short answer to your question is I'm thrilled where they are. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to the draft because, like you said, they've given themselves a lot of freedom to do just about anything they want, uh, not only on day one, but deep into day three. Absolutely, and I think uh, we have to remember the Browns guardrails, which were started with Paul D. Podesta, Sashi Brown, back, you know, Andrew Barry was around then. Uh, our guy, Wreck This League, Seth, has um, created a PDF. Uh, him and I were talking. I was like, this would be great if it could get cleaned up because, you know, when it got released. But we look at, you know, key positions quarterback, cornerback, pass rushers, offensive tackle. And then you look at their salary cap, maintain flexibility as long as possible, um, be able to exit after two years with no dead money, but never any more than three years with any dead money, and be creative ahead of the curve in contract structuring. So, you know, you're right exactly with Jadavion Clowney. I mean, who knows? It could be a Melvin Ingram, you know, all of those kind of things. Bluntly with Clowney, it's my belief that if his, and this is a weird way of saying it, but if his knee or his health is signable, he'll be signed by the middle of next week, end of next week at the latest. If he's not there, and I'm not saying by the Browns, by the way, but if he's not there, then this could drag out a little bit because just uh-huh. he needs to get healthy. But I think Clowney, unlike last year, um, him and his people just know that this is a year just get get in, get in with the group, know what you're going to be doing, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the Browns are the place to be. And I think what's really cool about what's happened this year is a, B, and Kevin Stefanski, they were able to make a, you know, have a good season last year. So this year they can hold steady to their, their guns and not really lose out on too much, right? Obviously, who knows what their offer to Carl Lawson was or Shaq Griffin or Trey Hendrickson. But in general, they're in a really good place and able to hold to their guns because it's a good team that people want to come to. Mm-hmm. And then you sign a John Johnson, so a Troy Hill wants to come and a Malik uh, Jackson wants to come. And, you know, there's, you know, um, Walker, linebacker, Ranger wants to come. You know, there's all of these kind of moves that just make a lot of sense because they put themselves in that position. And that's the part to be really excited about is Cleveland is the destination for players right now. So those can be cheap three-year deals. Those can be the Troy Hill deal, which is basically a two-year deal. You know, one-year deals, all that kind of stuff. But people want to come to Cleveland, and that's something we're not used to because people wanted to come to get the big bag, which happened to be in Cleveland. Now – players want to come to Cleveland, which is really exciting, right? It's new. Yeah, absolutely. It still feels weird to say. I mean, (laughs) every time I write something or hear something or, you know, you and I DM or text about something and it's, you know, well, if they want to take that last step for, you know, towards the Super Bowl and it's not a joke, like we're not, (laughs) we're not, we're not joshing each other about it. You know, it's legitimate. Like if they, it's real. Like, if they were to sign, and again, this is just an example. If they were to sign Clowney and then grab, you know, maybe a Steven Nelson or one of the the corners that they've been rumored to trade for, you know, pick your favorite one, whoever that is, or something out of the blue that we haven't thought of yet, a starter level uh, at corner, then you look at their draft capital and the way it, it matches up in many places, not every place, but in many places it matches up to their needs it's on paper there is really no legitimate argument against them being one of the top AFC contenders i mean it's i mean the cleveland in us you know is all waiting for the anvil to drop from three stories up uh but if you look at it on paper right now assuming no catastrophic injuries to keep people i mean really what where's 
where's the weakness? If they yeah, I mean, there's there's a d- little bit of depth concerns, but again, you had a starting level edge and a starting level cornerback, and all of a sudden, you know, it's game changer. But that whole Cleveland anvil falling, I'll be honest with you guys, uh, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook, the highlight video from the playoff game against the Steelers comes up randomly, and I watch it. And I can promise you, as the Steelers start to come back, my stomach starts to churn. Like, mm-hmm. I know the results of that game. I know the outcome of that game. But I'm like, man, how did they let them get that field goal? Oh, crap. That, oh, how did they not how, – how come Ebron didn't drop that touchdown pass? How did Claypool get so open? Like, it is literally – my stomach is churning, and I know the freaking results of the game. Like, that is how <laughs> crazy it is embedded in us to be stressed out, y'all. And I promise you I'm not the only one. Some of you on the other side are like, oh, well, either the counselor's crazy or – I'm not finally, so we'll we'll just let that be. So, Stephen, we're going to move on to the draft. So we're we're both excited. We feel like they've done really good, but it's not hype. It's not flash. It's solid moves, solid right. players. Obviously, John Johnson the third is is the guy, and and having the guy up there, I've longed for a free safety to cover pretty much my the entire decade plus that I've covered the Cleveland Browns. I love free safety play. Uh, Tashawn Gibson was probably the best option uh, that one year of Demarius Randall. So we're really excited about that. But, you know, as we talked about the Browns guardrail, positions like cornerback, which we covered at the OBR last week, and edge rusher, which we're going to be covering this week, are two of the highest priorities alongside quarterback and offensive tackle. So taking a quick look back at cornerback week, just in general, what's your feel on this corner class? High, medium, low? Like, what are you thinking about the overall class? It's uh, this and the edge class both are similar, similarly shaped uh, to my eyes in that there's a couple top guys uh, probably out of our reach at 26. I mean, you, you have no idea how it's going to shake down this year of all years, but probably not going to be around. But there's the strength, the meat of the cornerback and the edge class from what I can see is the day two group which is perfect because we got a bunch of picks on day two. Um, and there's a good chance, in my mind, we're going to be moving down from 26 to get another day two pick and maybe one next year. And so there are a, a numerous options. I mean, tagging on to what we just said, let's say they, they get a, a, an edge and a corner, starter-level corner. Maybe it's not a star. Maybe you know, maybe it's a Gary and Conley or, you know, I don't know, just a solid starter. It doesn't have to be a star in free agency. And then they add at least one of, and again, pick your favorite day two guy, Asante Samuel Jr., if you, uh, uh, Fatu Melifanu, Elijah Molden, Trill Williams, Greg Newsom, Eric Stokes. Uh, Paulson Adebo is a guy who has recently jumped back into the day two conversation and I find very interesting. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of other guys. Tyson Campbell has fans out there. Kelvin Joseph has day two fans out there. There's a there's a, a myriad of options and a variety of sizes and styles. You know, um, Asante Samuel Jr. For example, uh, people are saying, oh, he's a slot, he's a slot, he's a slot because he's five ten, hundred and ninety. He he only played eleven snaps in nickel for Florida State this year. Now I <laughs> now I fully understand the NFL is a different animal than college football. I get it, and it's not a problem. But if you watch what he does, and he may end up living mostly in the slot. I'm not saying that he won't. I have zero issues with him giving you some snaps on the outside. So if you want a guy that's versatile in that direction, you have him. And then you want to flip it around. There's uh, uh, Afatu Melifanu and Trill Williams. They're big enough. 
that they look like they're going to you know live on the outside, but they're also twitchy and and quick enough that they can play in the middle. They can they can come over the slot. They can help you with the tight ends. Uh, uh, that are prevalent in the AFC. They can help you. They can drop back and play free safety. But like I said, they're also big enough to stick with the Chase Claypools and the other six three six four guys mm-hmm. uh, that that gave us all kinds of problems last year. And as much as I love Denzel Ward, that's just he can't be taller. It's I mean it's <laughs> it's he not can't in be, his he skill can't set. be thicker either either it, or he's not going to be able to run the way he does. Exactly, and, and I, that's not a knock. He's tr- a tremendous corner, and I can't wait to lock him up long term. But you know, you put him against the guy that's six foot four, he's just he's going to lose if the ball's thrown right. It, that's just life. I mean, we're not all tall. That's the way it goes. <laughs> so you know, I I still think that you know, unless that you know something unexpected happens between now and the draft, there's going to be two of those top hundred, or maybe you know, if you include the pick at one eleven, uh, so the top hundred and eleven picks, I, I, two of those are going to be corners. Would be my my guess, or maybe one of the free safety uh, slot corner hybrid types like an Elijah Molden or a Tariq Thompson from San Diego State, somebody like that. They're you know, maybe technically listed as a safety, but really they play a lot in the slot. Those kind of guys. So I think that it matches up very well with A, their draft capital, B, what we believe their um, style or whatever, you know, uh, the analytics of using day two picks, it matches up very well. It also matches up with the needs that they have. Because like we said, even if they sign another one, we're all rooting for Greedy Williams, but you need depth. You need options back there in case the nerve damage doesn't work out for him. They need multiple additions in the cornerback room so that we're not in a situation, again, if there's an injury or two where we're, literally calling guys up from the practice squad and having them start, you know, down the playoff uh, stretch run and into the playoffs. So the short answer to your question is I'm really excited about the way this cornerback class matches up with what their perceived needs and guardrails and everything are because whatever your favorite flavor of cornerback is in day two, early day three range, there's a couple of each. So there are options. Even if you don't get this guy, there's another guy that's pretty much the same, you know, coming up right behind him. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, and I think the reality is is that, and I often talk about size is not a skill. It is a trait, though, right? And so understanding that, you know, I don't want – I mean, I'd love to have two Denzel Wards, but if I had the choice between a Denzel Ward and a lesser version that's 6'2 and you know, real long arms and a little bit thicker, well, I want some variety there in my defensive backfield, same thing kind of with when you talk about edge rushers, not the exactly the same, but still, you know, Asante Samuel might be blank size and that it makes sense that he could play inside, but he's really good on the outside, right? He plays well out there, so he has that ability. His size doesn't exactly define him, right? The same way with wide receivers. DK Metcalf is gargantuan, and he's an outside receiver, but so is Taylor Gabriel. Right, like they're outside guys. They size is not define how somebody plays, and unfortunately, we're such a simple society that we like to base things based on very specific kind of things. So he's this tall, he's this fast, he's this, he's this, he's this. But listen, Joe Hayden, which we can all joke about where he is now in his career uh, because he plays over there. But Joe Hayden didn't measure out like he was going to be some kind of great corner. 
but he was really good at it as a cornerback. Like, that's what he was good at doing. So, you know, those kind of things aren't always skills, right? So I don't care if someone's fast and tall. They're not going to be a good receiver if they don't know how to run routes and don't know how to catch the freaking football. So at cornerback, you're right. I think, um, you know, it's it's not pear-shaped in that it it isn't top-heavy with a lot of down at the bottom. It's some kind of different shape, and I couldn't think of one while you were talking. Uh, but it, it really is, you know, has that middle – that is really, really strong. I think the hard thing, I'm, I'm kind of on the other side of most Browns analysts. While many think trading down seems to make a lot of sense, which I can see it, I'm, I actually start to worry about roster size, uh, and I actually wonder about either trading up or trading out. Not obviously out of number out of their 26 mm-hmm. pick, but mm-hmm. you know if that's more their route, whether it's moving up from their second, third round pick to get another, you know, second-round pick or, you know, whatever it is. I wonder more about up, but I also think Andrew Berry is not – he's not black and white. You know, he's not binary. So he can go down from 26 and then up from his second, third-round pick, and all of a sudden he has four second-round picks or whatever, right? Like, anything is possible. Oh, I'm with you, yeah. And and trading out, I think, is far more possible than a lot of people want to give it credit for because – uh, I mean, a variety of reasons, you know, um, one of which is in this bizarre year, there's just not nearly the same amount of information on these guys uh, as they normally have at their fingertips to make their decisions. And this is the front office that loves data. Um, it's not only data, but they really love data. And so you've got guys who haven't played a snap in 18 months. You've got guys only played four games, you you didn't have a combine, you didn't have the normal number of visits, and on and on and on and on. So uh, add that to the low cap, and maybe, you know, uh, moving out is more prevalent. You know, pick up, you know, so that next year you're sitting with nine, ten picks again, hopefully, uh, you know, a couple <laughs> extra ones on day two. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I think if you're talking about trade-ups, and we said this months and months ago and have, haven't really circled back around to it, I think trade-up is far more possible from 59 and the 89-91 combo, and maybe even 111, than it is from 26. Uh, now, I could be very wrong, of course. I mean, he may see a guy at, that they have third on their board that's still there at 20, and they decide, you know what, we're going to go get him, you know, because that's just ridiculous value at that point. But... If you look at the the face of it and then you think about how most teams only have 15, 17 true first-round grades, add that to the data-oriented approach from this draft class and then think about picking at 26, the odds that somebody they have ranked day one is still sitting there in front of them seem to be relatively low. So moving down for someone who's coming up to grab you know, an offensive tackle because the, the top end of this tackle class is really strong. Or, you know, maybe Mac uh, Jones is still sitting there and a quarterback-hungry team, you know, shoots up from 41 or, or you know, wherever. I, I'm not picking on any particular team. But, right. yeah, I'm with you. I think moving down is more possible from 26. Uh, moving up is more possible from 59. And moving out, especially once you get into day three, um, is uh, is always an option for a front office like the one run by Mr. Andrew Barry. You know, one of the things I just was thinking of is looking at that pick number 91 and just trying to put all the math together, folks, just, just to have a – because I'd like to see how things – you know, it's kind of where it started, where it is. Pick 91 was acquired by the Browns for dropping 14 spots from 74 
to 88. Okay, mm-hmm. They dropped 14 spots, picked up pick number 91 this year, a year later from the trade. Think about they could, again, just saying could, could trade out of 91 for a second-round pick next year and maybe a little something else. The Browns could literally have dropped down 14 spots and two years later netted a top 60 pick for dropping. They didn't lose a pick. They didn't lose a player. They dropped 14 spots, and two years later, now again, who knows if it would be 91, maybe it's 89. Who knows how it all works out. But it's very possible they could trade out of 91 for a second-round pick the following year and have turned a 14-spot slide into a second-round pick. Like, that's Brock Osweiler-esque in its, like, ridiculousness when you play that tape out. So a lot of fun there. Steven, I always like to ask you about kind of your guys, and um, I think a lot of people know about J.C. Horn and um, Asante Samuel and all some of those guys. Is there a, is there a your guy that is, you know, you're going to pound the table, second, third, fourth, fifth round, um, if you're in the in the room with Andrew Barry, is there a guy at cornerback that you would want to do that for? Oh, uh, I don't think it's any secret if Fatu Melifonwu is mm-hmm. my guy. Um, big, fast, strong, uh, versatile. Uh, he's like I said before, he's one of those guys that he. I mean, you can obviously line him up outside on the Chase Claypools, but he's also he's 215 pounds, and so he can handle as well as anybody can handle the the big badass tight ends in the AFC. I mean, nobody handles, you know, Travis Kelsey, but you know, when I say handle, I think everybody knows what I mean. He, he at least gives you a fighting chance, you know what I mean? So, um and uh, he would be my guy. Also, if they're looking for this type of player, I would hammer the table until my knuckles bleed for Elijah Molden. Um, now, I don't know if he's going to be around in the value that they would be looking for that, but his game and instincts and uh, there's just nothing about except if he was two inches taller. That's the only thing that, right. that I would change about him. But other than that, and if you watch him play, it really doesn't hold him back. You know, it's not like he's uh, – I've never seen him being 5'10 instead of six foot. Like you can, you can't point to it in any single play right. that I've seen, anyway. So, uh, I would say Melifonwu um, would be my guy in the corner class. I, yeah, maybe throw Trill Williams in there too. I mean, I just love that whole Syracuse defensive backfield. You want to go way down? Um, probably Robert Rochelle. He's been a guy on my uh, sleeper, you know, list for a long time now, central Arkansas. Um, and, uh, little, he was on Feldman's freak list last summer and then, uh, dinged himself up at the beginning of the year. I think he played two games this year for central Arkansas and didn't really get a chance, uh, to showcase what he could be, uh, but just athletically freaky. And his, his film from 2019 has a lot of great stuff in it, a lot of stuff to be worked on as well, as you would imagine. But he's a guy that I, if you're talking about way down uh, the board, at least the media boards, uh, that would be my guy, Robert Rochelle, on, on day three. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the information on, on Rochelle uh, from Bruce Feldman. 4.3840 yard dash, 41-inch vertical, 140-inch broad jump, 3.98 short shuttle. Those are some... Uh, relatively amazing numbers. Ridiculous. Uh, our, our guy, uh, Math Bomb, Kent Lee Platt, uh, has him as a 9.99 Roz score, which is relative athletics score, uh, and that literally is out of 10. So he is basically a perfect athlete at the cornerback position because Roz uh, takes into account the position he's playing at. So that dude 
is ridiculous. Just uh, a little inside folks into uh, kind of some of the struggles when you analyze players and, and all of that. A lot of fans struggle with uh, helmets. So they played for this person, they played for that team, this, that, and the other. They can also struggle with um, heights and weights and speeds and those kind of things and kind of limiting people just based on some of those kind of things. I'll tell you the one thing with, with your guy that's really a struggle for me is his brother, uh, Obi, drafted by the Raiders, overdrafted in the <laughs> second round. I, it's it's hard for me, and it's there's literally no logic to it, but it's a part of how your brain works, right? It's hard for me to be like, yeah, his brother is really athletic too. How'd that work out, right? Obviously, different players, all of that stuff, but that's that's the part of me that's still left, right? That, that can't have the self-control to go, that's just, like, that's stupid. There's no point in me comparing him to his brother, but... I'm still struggling with that. Sure, yeah. I think that the major difference would be, uh, and this is no knock on uh, his older brother, Obi, but I think uh, Afatu has much better tape to back it up. Obi was, at least as far as I recall, uh, you know, um, a, a combine warrior. Uh, he shot up to, you know, as you said, yeah. over overdrafted status because he, um, you know, frankly, just utterly destroyed it. His combine was just ludicrous. Um, and people took him ahead of where the tape said he should be. Melifonwu, on the other hand, has tape that has much better draft minds than mine. I mean, much, much better draft minds than mine, saying he could very well go on day one. I don't know that he will, but they're saying, you know, if he goes between 25 and 32, they're not going to be surprised whatsoever. So that would be the difference. But, yeah, I get it. We all have these little things that we've been burned before by such and such a, you know. I mean, for Cleveland Browns fans, who do you ever want to pick at 22 ever again? No, I mean, <laughs> especially I, I a quarterback. I, like in our all the different mocks that we go to and, you know, all the machines we use, I'm like, nope, not, not saying that one. I don't even care. Like they could offer me, you know, whatever, you know, the cheapest deal ever to move up. I'm like, I'm not taking 22. Yeah, like, and it makes I won't no sense. Them. No, like not at all. Said, there's no reason. It's just pure coincidence that they drafted all those guys at 22. But And I'm guilty of it, too. I'm like, holy crap. I think, like, three weeks before the end of the season, something like that, we were sitting in the 22nd spot. And that whole week, I was like, oh, my God, we definitely need so-and-so to lose so we can't be in I don't care what happens. Just 23, 21. Any, any of them. And it makes no sense whatsoever. There's no, no logic to it at all. But, yeah, we're all guilty of those kind of things. But you have to you have to, to step back and try to take emotion out of it as much as you possibly can. Absolutely. So you already talked a little bit about how you're feeling about the edge class. So similar to the cornerback class, some, some guys at the top uh, – you know, Quiddy is there, um, and then there's some other guys, and then there's, you know, really that good second group. I think the, the guy that's always going to intrigue me is Gregory Rousseau, a guy who, if he didn't sit out last year, is a top 10 pick probably, just size and production and all of that kind of stuff. But if you are, are there, we're going to talk about uh, picks 26 and 59. If you, if you got to pick, if Andrew Berry calls you, I'm like, yo, professional comedian, we want you to come perform at First Energy Stadium. It's going to be sold out. It's going to be great. And we're going to need you to make the picks at 26 or 59, whichever, and we need a, we want an edge player. So at 26, given realistically who's going to be available, let's start with 26. Stephen, who are you hopeful will be available, and then who would be your guy with the 26 overall pick at edge rusher for the Cleveland Browns? Well, first of all, if I got that phone call, I would go pure Jake Taylor from Major League. I would go, is that you, Tabor? 
You could have at least said you that you were from the Yankees. I'm hung over. I don't have time for this shit. And I would hang up because there's no way I would believe I got that phone call. But <laughs> if it was, and so much of it depends on who's there. I mean, we've spent, you know, six months thinking, you know, uh, Pay and Rousseau were not even considerations. Like they were, you know, both mocked in the top ten virtually everywhere you looked. And now suddenly both of them, at least a reasonable enough amount of times that it makes you wonder, sometimes they're available at 26. And there are people, like like I said before, great draft minds out there saying these guys might drift to the second half of round one. I've seen Rousseau on day two a few times. Yeah, now. that's like crazy. Which, I'm like, up, trade up, get that get that one too. I, I, I Which, again, I, I mean, it's such a bizarre year. I, I have... I can't say with any certainty what what is or isn't going to happen, even more than normal. But if we're assuming that you know they're all on the table, I think Pay and Rousseau, excuse me, are probably the two top guys. Uh, although I do love Aziz Ojolari, I would take him as well. Um, the only ones that are consistent, the only guy that's consistently consistently mocked top twenty, top fifteen. Uh, and occasionally available for us that I would have a lot of hesitation for is Jalen Phillips. Jaylen Phillips. And that's just the medical history. If he didn't have the medical history, his tape this year is just uh, fantastic. He's got everything. And maybe they're okay with it. I mean, obviously somebody in a, in a white doctor lab coat cleared him because he, you know, he medically retired, if anybody doesn't know that, uh, partially because of multiple, multiple concussions. He also had an ankle problem. He had two wrist surgeries after he was hit. Uh, by a, a motorcycle, if I remember right, although don't quote me on that. Um, and he medically retired. And then he came back and played at Miami this past year. So obviously somebody cleared him. And so if the staff in Berea, the medical people, say, yeah, it's not a problem, then Jalen Phillips is kind of a slam dunk because he's, he's absolutely fantastic. However, if we take him off the board because of what Andrew Berry said earlier about this week about durability and all that other kind of stuff, pay, I think, is... I would have zero issues uh, taking pay. Rousseau, it all depends on what they think because the questions about him are legitimate. Like you said, the size and, and physical traits are, you know, beyond discussion. It's they're there, pro, they're, right? It's their pro day yeah. is either tomorrow or the day after. It's coming up, so we'll get the final official numbers. But he's somewhere around six six two seventy. You know, it could be six five two sixty five. It could be you know six seven two seventy five. But he's right about six six two seventy. And the athleticism is, you know, unquestionable. I mean, you, you watch him, and he's just absolutely freaky. But one year, one year of tape, and he was a wide receiver in high school. So he's got basically one year of, of being an edge rusher. And that shows up in his tape as well. You see him win a lot just on pure athleticism. Um, but he hasn't played this year. So how hard has he been working? What has he improved? He may come out and blow everybody away with improved hand usage and footwork and array of pass moves. And if he can do that at his size and, and speed and, and on all and length, the length is just ridiculous, then yeah, absolute slam dunk. But if they look at him and decide he's too raw, then I totally understand him passing on him because there's a solid group on day two, like you said. So at 26, 100% on pay. I'm a Russo believer, but that fact that we don't know what they think of him puts me at 90% on Russo. Uh, I'm I would be totally I'm probably 90% on Aziz Ojolari as well. I love Aziz Ojolari, only 20 years old and just a beast. 
Um, and that's really about – I mean, I know Joe Treon's been mocked on day one by Daniel Jeremiah, but that just feels – and I love Treon. I love him. But that feels heavy to me. I, I, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not betting that one. That's I, I, yeah, I don't know. He's, he feels – he's probably going to go in between 26 and 59, but if he's around at 59, I'd jump on it in a heartbeat, you know, assuming they didn't go edge at 26. Um, but yeah, and, and again, we don't know. Maybe they, maybe they love him. Maybe they, right. you know, I mean, he could be at 26 and frankly, I love the player, so I wouldn't argue with him. But right now, based on what we see on the media boards, that feels a little rich for me. 59 opens up a whole different, uh, uh, group of people, but, uh, I'll let you talk before we get into 59. Yeah, we're going to talk about 59. And one of the guys that I know Tony Pauline has <laughs> kind of linked to the Browns a little bit, um, from the Pro Football Network uh, is Ronnie Perkins as an edge rusher, and he actually had him uh, as as a uh, at mock to the Browns at 26. You know, for me, obviously, I always, we always get kind of um, excited about certain traits, and I think the idea of Miles Garrett and Gregory Rousseau who could extend their arms and literally prob- – I mean, I don't know if literally is the right term here, but they could probably go from left tackle to right tackle with just the two of them standing there with their <laughs> arms out. Like, I actually – someone – we have a lot of great listeners. Someone <clears throat> do the math on could Gregory Rousseau and Miles Garrett stand arm-to-arm, fingertip-to-fingertip, and go left tackle to right tackle? Are they that long of players? Because I think it's very possible that they are. I think there's some really interesting guys, though. I think you're right about Ojolare. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, it's Perkins, Quiddy Pay, um, you know, there's there are some guys out there that maybe produce better. Uh, so it'll be interesting how that one year, the year off, all of that, you know, the Sashi Brown draft was all about production and elite, elite athleticism, you know, we're, we're going to learn slowly but surely what is important to Andrew Berry. So, you know, if we go with one of those kind of three guys at the 26th pick, but maybe the, those three guys aren't available, they go in a different direction, they go with a the cornerback, they go with Rashad Bateman, uh, they go with the linebacker from Notre Dame, JOK, you know, they do whatever at 26, so now Andrew Berry's calling you up, hey, we got to book a second concert and we need an edge rusher at 59, Stephen. Tell me a joke, and then, not really, uh, but that's what he wants. He wants a joke, buddy, uh, but then he wants your pick, Edge, 59. They went in a different direction at 26. Who's that Edge rusher there at 59? Well, if we're sold out and booking a second concert at the stadium, I'm doing a door deal, and I'm keeping 90% of the receipts for, you know, 70,000 people or however many it is. That's right off the bat. Otherwise, I'm hanging up the phone. Um, but at 59, God, I would love to be in that position once just to have that kind of just, power. Cause my whole career, I've never had that kind of power over a booker. I need, I need to gig. So you I need the power to say, I need to be able to call one play for the Cleveland Browns in, in preseason. <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to, I want to, listen, I, you you got to throw, you know, the slot wheel route or the tight end throwback. You know, you got to feel really good about the play you want to call. Fumble Ruski, baby, all the way. Listen, um, we don't need the title of your autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> um, 59, uh, there's, yeah, there's a group of guys. Uh, like I already said, if uh, Joe Treon is there, um, I wouldn't hesitate uh, there with him at 59. Um, Ronnie Perkins, I like him a bit more. I know there are some people in, in draft Twitter and Brown's draft Twitter that, that uh, are lower on him, and I get it. I, I understand why they're – Legitimate questions. I like him a bit more than some other people. I, from the Browns' perspective, and I doubt that he will be there, but he feels more like an 
mm-hmm. uh, kind of guy. Uh, for 59, I would say Treon um, uh, Osai, if he's still around, Joseph Osai from Texas. And then uh, Peyton Turner from Houston. I keep getting him at the 89-91 combo uh, in, on all the simulators, but it just there's just something deep inside me that's, that it doesn't feel right. I think if they want him, it's going to have to be at 59. And frankly, you know, especially if they bring in Clowney, uh, Peyton Turner at 59 I w- would not bother me in the least. He's If, if folks out there aren't... Um, Onto him yet? Uh, six uh, five yeah. two seventy five, I believe. I don't have it in front of me right now. And just a massive human. And he was uh, like twenty five thirty pounds heavier his first couple of years because Houston had him on the inside. He they only moved him out and he dropped. He shed the weight um, and and still just looks athletic as hell. He's got hands like bricks. Um, he's still pretty raw, uh, uh, you know, because he's only like I said, he just moved out there. But you can see it. Uh, that he can get around the corner, he can bull rush you, um, and something else that I love in not only my defensive backs, people always talk about versatility in defensive backs, and I love that out there, but it's huge on the defensive line as well. Yep. It's one of the things about Miles Garrett. It would be one of the things about Gregory Rousseau. He's got reps at, at the true nose, for God's sake, where he you know beat the crap out of centers. And Peyton Turner can do that as well. So if you had a defensive line of, <laughs> you know, among other guys, Miles Garrett, uh, uh, Jadevian Clowney, and Peyton Turner that can play out wide or you can switch them inside at any given moment and go NASCAR or whatever you want to call that, you know, that uh, uh, positional grouping – the offense has no idea what's coming or from where. And and the freedom that gives a guy like Joe Woods and the job, how much easier it makes the seven guys behind them, uh, their job to do is you can't really calculate it because you got guys that can win every rep from anywhere all game long and they're keeping each other fresh. So, yeah, if they did not – if they did not go – uh, edge at 26, and they wanted to go in at 59, I would say uh, Treon and, and Turner would be my personal top two guys. I would have no problem with Asai or Perkins. Um, and really, that's that's about it. I know Carlos Basham, I know Boogie is in that general range, but him and Roche both uh, are outside the age guardrails. And that's right. something that I think you brought up um, it's not just a talking point. They are serious about that. So, um, I mean, they could shock us all, but I would be very surprised if those two guys are in the conversation. Well, the reality for the Browns is while, yes, they believe they're going to be competitive next year for a possible Super Bowl, they also are not going to put all their chips in the table because, again, it becomes a little bit of a Yahtzee. It becomes a little bit of a lottery when you get to the, the playoffs, and they want to they want to have 10 bites at the apple, right? They want to... They want to get to the playoffs the next nine years at least with a real opportunity to compete, and they're going to do that starting with this draft and really starting with last year's draft and around the foundation of Miles and Baker and Denzel and hopefully Odell Beckham Jr., Jedrick Wills, some of those guys. You know, but as the years go on, the J.C. Treaders of the world and the Sheldon Richardsons and, you know, all of that, you know, come into play and they're going to need to replace them. And so age is going to matter because they want a player in the first, second, and third round that they are able and want to sign to a real second contract. Not a player after their right. first contract's 29, 30, some, you know, in that area. Like, that just doesn't work for what they're looking to do. So um, I think it'll be really interesting kind of how that – 
that now and later kind of thing goes. But you're absolutely right about edge. It's one of the few positions, probably edge, receiver, and safety are probably the three for me that I will never think they drafted too many. I just mm-hmm. won't. Like, I just don't think it's possible. Like, it, listen, I safeties can come down and play corner. Safeties can play slot. I'm sorry. Safeties can come down and play linebacker. Safeties can play slot at times. Edge rushers can play outside. They can drop in coverage every once in a while, and they can move inside. And then receivers, listen, just give me some guys who can run around really fast and catch the ball. Like, I want those three. And so, listen, I could do a full draft every year of just – Free, you know, free safeties, edge rushers, and wide receivers, and generally be pretty happy. So again, if if a Jadavion Clowney and Melvin Ingram is added in free agency, <clears throat> that doesn't take them out at twenty six of Gregory <clears throat> Rousseau. And you're right, like the idea of Rousseau um, on the outside, Clowney and Tack McKinley on the inside, and or Miles on the inside, whatever it is, like just those four in a NASCAR package, a Sheldon Richardson at time, a Malik Jackson, the ability to be so flexible, Porter Gustin like uh, Curtis Weaver, who both of us liked a lot last year. We'll see what he is this year. A lot of options there. And then at 59, you know, whether it's Tryon, uh, Turner, uh, Perkins, whoever, you know, they might be interested in, that still leaves them a lot of picks uh, to continue to grow this roster. So uh, it seems like, just like last year, it was an offensive tackle first round. Like there were a lot of really good offensive tackles. The Browns were set up pretty well to draft that guy. And now this year, there's a lot of that, you know, late first, second and third round that fit that cornerback edge rusher area that the Browns need. And there are some also some wide receivers that fit there too as well. So it feels like the Browns are well set up for what they need in this upcoming NFL draft. And Steven will always keep us up to date. Uh, he's going to have mock drafts of plenty. Uh, he's also been um, grinding away at the film to to do these um, draft profiles for all, for us. So make sure you uh, appreciate those. Give them a click. Those will be some good evergreen content throughout the draft process as we move basically one month away from the NFL draft in Cleveland. And somehow the fact that the draft is coming up and it's going to be in Cleveland is not what Browns fans are most excited about. Steven, I didn't know that would ever be possible. The, the Browns fans are more <laughs> excited about the team than the NFL draft in general and the fact that the freaking NFL draft is in Cleveland. How crazy is that? Yeah, I mean, you know, for how how long we've said the draft is a Browns fan Super Bowl, and um, now it's just a big party because you know what's a Browns fan Super Bowl? The actual Super Bowl. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just bizarre. My dad and my brother and I, you know, we you know, group text forever, and every so often one of us will just go, I, "We're dead." I mean, seriously, we're obviously we're dead because there's no way this is happening on on planet Earth. This is our version of heaven. Uh, and and that's how it feels sometimes. It's so it's it's just bizarre to say when we you know we just had a what forty minute conversation however long it was about the draft and it was all almost all about depth and and you know the finishing pieces not trying to jam you know, eleven new starters into eight picks <laughs> you know it's it's a whole new world for us and and uh frankly i freaking love it and can't wait to see what happens next absolutely absolutely so steven appreciate you taking some time with us today 
Folks, make sure you follow along with Stephen at Browns Mock Draft. You know, I don't have to spell that one for you. At Browns Mock Draft. Pretty simple. Uh, and as always, a lot of good stuff coming up for Edge Week for the OBR. So get everything at theobr.com. Uh, on Twitter, at the OBR. Like our Facebook page. Like our Instagram. A uh, lot of stuff up. Uh, like, follow, subscribe, whatever it is for YouTube. Uh, and then obviously this podcast, if you're just listening for the first time, thank you for stopping by. I am Jared Mueller. You can get a hold of me on Twitter, at Jared K. Mueller. And as I always end, please, 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 take care of yourself. Take care of others. And as always, go Browns.